finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. All right. Thank you for tuning in to the George Wilder Jr. Show. On Blog Talk Radio. We will be podcast uh, soon. Anyway, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. I'm still under the weather. A little bit not as bad as it used to be. Uh, I did have my flu shot. I mean, I had the flu shot before uh, winter uh, approached. So I'm not as bad as bad off as if I had not had the flu shot <laughs> at all. And I would suggest to anybody who hasn't had the flu, a flu shot to get one. It will literally save your life. It will. It will. Even though the weather here in the city of Chicago, and I hope where you are, wherever you are in the world, that it's uh, going going to be co- cooperating somewhat. You know, February, yeah. Middle of February. And I hope everybody had a great Valentine's Day. I know I did. Okay. I hope everybody had a beautiful, beautiful uh, Valentine. And I know some people out there, well, I've I'm, I'm been alone. I'm alone on Valentine. You, not with the George Wilder Jr. Show. You're not alone. You know, everybody's got somebody when you're listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. And I want to say once again, I hope everybody had a great, great, great uh, Valentine. All right, let's get on. Well, what are we going to talk about today? What are we going to do here today? Um, Obviously, we've got to talk some more about the uh, uh, the Parkland, Florida shooting, the high school shooting. And we also got to talk about the Republicans and their limp-ass response to all of this. Obviously, these guys aren't going to talk about, uh, don't want to talk about, don't even want to think about talking about gun control. Paul Ryan, I mean, this guy, he's so pathetic, it's a damn shame. Wisconsin wake up and throw this jackass out. You know, I mean, he he disrespects you. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you can tell that because he doesn't get, hold town hall meetings. And you're the people who given him, who have gave him, actually, his job. And he he, he thinks he's too almighty and tough and, and better, so much better than other people. He can't show up at his uh, town hall meetings to address the people who put his ass in office throw his ass out because he's now saying that uh, it's too soon to talk about uh, gun control. Too soon? We're way late on this thing. We should have been talking about it during the Sandy Hook. Uh, And we were. The Republicans were giving the same response. Uh, It's too soon. It's too early. Uh, We got to wait until all the data and all of this stuff is in and evidence. What evidence? The evidence, you know that 17 people... uh, uh, young people, uh, 17 people, including adults and teachers, uh, were killed. What more damn data do you need? These guys are pulling their, uh, dragging their feet on on bringing gun control to the floor because they don't want to. They don't want nothing to do with gun control. They're all in the pockets of the NRA. The NRA. It's a damn shame that we vote these people in Congress, we vote them in office, give them their jobs, give them their great health care, and they let themselves be bought off by the NRA, the National Rifle Association. We have a Congress and a president 
right now who are bought the hell off. I mean, it's it's astonishing to see some of these uh, numbers in terms of the cash that was given to these lawmakers to vote, to not to vote on gun control. And they're doing it. And then these assholes try to come out and tell us what's right, how what we should listen to, how, you know, trying to lead. They can't lead. You can't lead. You're not a leader when you're being corrupt. That's corruption. Taking money, taking bribes, not to do certain, to act on certain legislation to protect the American public who voted your ass into office. Office With the Republicans, it's party, every damn thing. Party over uh, the elderly, party over the seniors, partly party over the poor. They don't give a damn about any of this. They're not going to do anything on gun control, but I have, I have a feeling but that, that America is really going to stay in their asses. I mean, these people over here, the survivors, uh, the parents of survivors at this uh, Parkland, uh, Florida school, I mean, they are voicing their concerns and, and, and being very pissed off at our Republican government, who is not going to do anything to try to uh, save uh, kids in, in American schools from being shot. And I'm, I, know, I, I know that the Republicans are just so pissed off that it wasn't someone black who did this. They're pissed off that it wasn't someone who was Muslim uh, do this or an, or an illegal Mexican. Then they would have, <laughs> they would have had a lot of uh, leeway to say that we need to build a wall or, or uh, some other racist rant. They, they would be uh, uh, talking about, but I'm hearing that the guy, the shooter wasn't Hispanic. I mean, to me, he doesn't look Hispanic. I'm, I haven't heard that uh, in, a, in a lot of places, but I, I've, I've heard that he was a white Hispanic. But anyway, he was a homegrown terrorist, and the Republicans aren't calling it terrorism. What the hell would anybody else call it? This is terrorism. This guy was a, he was a white supremacist. Uh, the Republicans are playing it down because they don't want to do anything on gun control. They don't want to upset their bosses, the people who are lying in their pockets for them to keep their mouths shut and their vote uh, sacred. It, it's pitiful. I mean, I when I look at all of these people in Congress who are bought and paid for by the NRA and other donors, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. And the only thing the Republicans can do that I can see right now is try to hurt poor people. They're hurting the middle class, the working people. They're after us. Yeah, I mean, I'm, everybody probably heard Donald Trump wanting to uh, replace food stamps with box foods, with, with, with food boxes. That's crazy. I don't think that's going to see the light of the day. And if it does, uh, a lot of this, these, these stupid ass uh, uh, proposals of Donald Trump and the Republicans, I don't think it's going to see the light of day. But, it, but uh, I, 
it's nice to know how far these people can go. They want to see poor people die in the streets. They don't want to see young kids uh, of those who are of very poor income to have anything to eat. These people are just shameful. They They are just shameful. Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump. And the only reason why Donald Trump is still in office is because of the Republicans are just as corrupt. The Republicans like uh, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, they need Donald Trump because Donald Trump will sign anything that they put in front of him. He will give them what they want. And what they want to do now is to starve poor people, starve in their children. By cutting off SNAP benefits. I mean, this is just mind-boggling. How how these Republicans hate America so much, and they want to destroy it in the name of Russia. Russia. They want Donald Trump. They want him. They want to keep him because they know Donald Trump is going to get them what they want. And what they want is to destroy America. There is no doubt about it. And I've said this, uh, they will never do anything on gun control. The Republicans, we have to vote them out and put in people who will do something on gun control. That should be a big, big issue coming forward, going forward. That should be uh, one of the greatest issues there is, is gun control. And these assholes aren't going to do it. It's not in their DNA to do them to do something like this. Their donors, uh, the NRA and other uh, and others will not uh, let them do it. They're bought and paid for, they're slaves to their donors, to hell with the, to hell with the country, to hell with the people, to hell with the laws. They don't care. They know we're angry, they know we're mad, they know we're upset, but they just don't get it. And they really, really don't. And people have to realize this. We are in some dire times here. You know, these people want to take away our freedom of speech. They want to take away this. They want to take away that. They want to literally take away anything that makes us happy. Anything that makes us happy. Anything that we... And Paul Ryan, before he became... uh, uh, Speaker of the House, and before he became a politician, he was living off, I think, his father or grandfather's Social Security benefits. And that helped propel him to be where he is today. And all he wants to do is take away your benefits, take away your Medicare and Medicaid, something that he rode to fame on. You just don't know how the hate permeate for people in general uh, with these uh, uh, rogue Republicans. They want America. They, they want to bring America to its knees. They want to give the Republicans, they want to give the corporations, give um, uh, the rich more in tax cuts. 
So they want to take away uh, food stamps, take away the funding for food stamps, and give it to those who are rich. The hell with children starving, old people starving, the middle class. Because you're not, you have a lot of people who are getting SNAP benefits, and they are not that poor. They would be poor if they weren't getting it. I mean, it, the Trump administration just don't see any way up for anybody. If you're trying to climb up, do something for yourself, better your life, the Trump administration is going to kick you back down to the ground. This is what these people are about. They don't want to try to see you make anything out of yourself, pull yourself up out of the gutter and become something. They're going to try to knock you back down and keep you down and keep their foot or feet on the back of your neck. This is, this is what the Trump administration is all about. As for the dreamers, I think there's no hope for them. Not, not with this administration. We're going to have to change Congress, change uh, the person in the executive office, because they're not going to do any. I mean, March 5th, my understanding is, is the, the last day, and it will be over for the Dreamers. And I'm hearing in some states, courts, there's court, court fights in some states that are saying that what the um, Trump administration is doing is unconstitu unconstitutional. So they may get the may get a reprieve. I'm not sure. We got to wait and see what happens. But anyway, I don't think nothing's going to happen with the Dreamers. I think they're on their way out of here. I mean, you got Republicans, and you can't believe you can't believe a damn thing the Republicans say. Never believe anything any one of them says. Just watch what they do. That's the most important thing. What they say. And how they say it and when they say it doesn't mean a damn thing. It is what they're doing, which is hurting America and hurting the children of this country. And they just don't give a damn. Well, they, well we can't rush to conclusions. I mean, it's been over 13, maybe, uh, maybe 13 to maybe 24 school shootings in the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years. And the Republicans are still saying it's too early to talk about gun control. It's too soon to talk about gun control. I like to say to all those Republicans who thinks it's too early to talk about gun control or too soon to talk gun control, get out, quit, resign. You're not doing your job. Let someone in there, in that, in that, uh, in your spot, in your place, to take your place, who will do something about gun, guns, illegal guns, um, guns in the hands of people who should not have them. Let me put it that way. Put it that way. Guns in the hands of people. Who, I'm, not a, I'm not advocating, as I've said a thousand times on this, on this show, I'm not advocating taking away anybody's gun, as you probably, if you have any brains, you would know that. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying uh, keep the guns out of the hands of the wrong people. And Republicans, they don't buy that. They don't buy that. And this guy, uh, what they call him, Nicholas Cruz, he, he was also uh, a white supremacist. So there you go, Donald Trump, one of your voters, one of your supporters. There you go, Donald Trump. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. As you know, I'm very angry. Again, 
I think the last time I, I was so angry like this, uh, I was feeling a little bit better, but I was still angry. I was the last time I was angry. This anger was when Donald Trump called uh, African country shitholes. I mean, I was livid, you know, and now Donald Trump and his minions are saying about these shootings, it's not time. Give me a break. And I think it was one GOP lawmaker said, and I totally, totally agree that the uh, only way that we're going to get any action on gun control and save lives in this in America is to is to vote out Republicans. That's the only way we're going to get anything done. Vote out Republicans. And I have a feeling once the Republicans lose everything uh, in in the coming months, they're going to be bitching again, yelling and screaming, Democrats this, Democrats that. But we've seen how the Republicans govern. They can't govern. They don't know how to govern. They don't have leadership in their bones. The only thing the Republicans know how to do is put their foot on the back of your neck. That's what that's how they get their jollies off, screwing poor people, messing around with the middle class, messing with 401ks, uh, 401ks, uh, reg- banking regulations, making it hard for you to sue your bank if they screw up your money. You know, he's trying to get back at us. He has a war with the poor people. He has a war with middle class. And he has a war with all of those who did not vote for him. And he's warring on those who do not like him. He doesn't have a war with South Korea, North Korea, Iran, Russia. His war is with his own people in his own country. That's a damn shame. In uh, Florida, uh, they're saying after he gave his solemn speech about uh, 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 condolences, they they said, I I don't want to say it, but they gave him the finger. Trump has no feelings for anyone but himself. If he tries to act as if he feels something, he's faking. That that guy doesn't feel anything. Neither does the Republicans. There are some le- people out here with some legitimate feelings on what went on uh, in Florida, Parkland, Florida, at the high school. But the Republicans, because if they had any real feelings, any real emotions, they would do something about guns but they are bought and paid for by the NRA. The NRA is their bosses. We've got to vote people in office who will not be bought and paid for by the NRA, that they have to get in, represent the people, and not being bought and paid for like the Republican Congress we have in Washington right now. And most of them guys and girls, they don't give a damn about you or me knowing that they're bought and paid for. They don't care. But I like for those guys and girls in Congress who are bought and paid for and try not to tell me anything about anything. Don't try to tell me how to live my life or who to vote for or what to do or where to go. 
I'm not bought and paid for. You are. So you can't tell me anything. Only thing you can do is get the hell out of Washington, D.C., get out of politics, leave office, resign, because you are a failure as a lawmaker. Let yourself be bought and paid for to screw your own people. And that's what you are doing. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. Um, yeah, a little pissed off about what's going on in our country, um, being led by rogue Republican uh, and criminal Donald Trump, rogue Republicans and a criminal Donald Trump, you know, and we all know it, and there is no getting over that. Donald Trump says Florida students should have done more to prevent deadly, deadly shooting. 
Meanwhile, the president has actually made it easier for people with mental health issues to buy guns. Hmm. Yep, because he upended an Obama executive order trying to keep guns out of the hands of the mentally ill. So, you know, Donald Trump has blood on his hands. President Trump on Thursday responded to the massacre at South Florida High School by suggesting students and the surrounding community could have done more to prevent the attack. Isn't that something? Wow. All right, you've been listening to the George Water Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio, and it is 628, is it 628? Yeah, 628 p.m. in Chicago. It's a beautiful night. <laughs> Once <laughs> The weather is uh, sort of cooperative. Uh, than it has been in the past, but uh, we'll have we will just have to deal with it. All right, all right. Let's go to the phones and see what's going on. All right, you're on the George Water Jr. Show. Go right ahead. Uh, good afternoon, George. This is David. How are you, David Selly? That's correct. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, man. I'm I'm just a little fired up at what's going on in uh, going on in America, and it just. Uh, I know I don't know breaking my heart or just pissing me off. Anyway, expert David Selly on the George Wilder Jr. show, and you're going to be telling us about uh, things about our relationships or how we should deal with them or things like that. Sure, I can start with that. That's great. How are you today? I'm fine. <laughs> Asking me that again. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I'm fine. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks for coming on. And, and you sound like you got a great voice. Uh, and well, give us a little you. bit of your bio. Uh, give us a little bit of your bio and then get right into uh, this relationship thing. All right. Well, first of all, I'm 80 years old and um, been around the track a little bit. Have plenty 80? of tread on my tires. You, That's right. You said 80? Wow. Eight I would have never zero. guessed it, man. <laughs> That's okay. Wow, you are all right. So. Yeah, it's great. You're a role model for the rest of us. Go right ahead. <laughs> well, that's good. Anyway, I've been uh, married 58 years of those uh, 80 years, so we um, we have something to say about relationships for sure, and that's why, of course, I can talk about it with uh, with some passion. Still have some passion, exactly. believe it or not. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, so. I mean, you've you've lived through it, so you 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 know it better than a lot of us. Go that's right. right. Anyway, very quickly, um, I grew up, I was born in England, went to school there, and uh, I graduated from high school with a master's degree in peripheral vision. Um, My buddies next door to me in in the class were smarter than I was, and I always got pretty good grades, but I was bored silly. And uh, I was thinking and dreaming about the trips to Africa and South America, and my head was in a different place. Uh, pretty smart, but not academically dialed in. And um, but, but I did graduate. Actually, I did graduate. And then I ran away from home uh, at age 15, uh, ended up, jumped on a ship in Liverpool, ended up in Montreal, uh, made my way to Vancouver and ended up working in the phone company there for 10 years. Uh, got promoted to district manager by the time I was 19. Met one of my little operators. She got my number. We got married. We moved to the United States. And we were, uh, we have Two grown adult children. Uh, sometimes they are children. <laughs> anyway, uh, 
we have yeah. four grandkids, and I am a right. thoroughbred entrepreneur. I do lots of fun things, and we live in Hawaii and love it. Wow, that sounds great. It sounds it just sounds so positive, and I want to congratulate you on uh, a life well uh, lived. So far, that's good. I'm still planning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We uh, we're 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 more excited about things now, frankly, than I've ever been. I've um, got lots of things yeah. on the table, and uh, yeah. I'm excited to talk to people about uh, basically how to handle their relationships. Obviously, we put a mm-hmm. website up for that, and that that can help people if they want to. And um, yeah. you know, we're encouraged by what we're seeing, of course, because what we have to say is the truth. It's kind of proven by yeah. lots of things. We're not psychologists or you know, psychiatrist or anything. We just, uh, we want to share our information that actually will help people, yeah. which is uh, what it's all about. You want to share some of your experiences in your relationships to, uh, for others who may be going to some things that are not so uh, sound in their relationships. So you're, you're basically sharing your own experience and getting yes, advice. Of course. Uh, right. I, um, if I didn't do that, of course, it'd be like going to, you know, going to university to learn from a professor who's never done what he's teaching, you know, like in the entrepreneur's area. So um, you got people like the that. thing is, <laughs> <laughs> well, that happens. You know, all, all, all due respect. But uh, yeah. my our, our experience is grassroots right down to the um, you know, basic stuff. Um, but I could start with, as an example, one of the uh, things that we've learned is a, a couple of techniques that they're actually on the website, but uh, a big problem with communi- with relationships, of course, is communication. You hear that time and time again. But the reality is that most people, even though they're trying to communicate, they're not really they're not really connecting for the simple reason that, uh, well, uh, the girls will speak at about four thousand words a day, and you know guys can sneak by with about twelve hundred. There's a huge difference there psychologically, and of course, if the women don't have their they're cup filled with communication, real communication. Uh, they feel kind of disenfranchised. So one of our techniques is what, what we call the uh, one to 10 technique. It's a, a, you put a scale on a feeling. Now, you know, every conversation has feelings. Would you agree? And so yeah. uh, if you're trying to get a, if you're trying to get a point across to your significant other, um, you can talk till the cows come home unless you are addressing the issues at hand in words that the person actually understands. So if, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you're talking Swahili and they speak English, you're not going to communicate. And that's a very, very extreme example. But here's what I'm trying to say. We put a value on a communication. So if you're talking to your, your, your lady friend um, or your significant other, uh, and you have a significant point that's really bothering you about how that you how you want to get across you want to get across a point you're trying to make a point and that person is already aggravated and they're mad because you asked them to do something whatever whatever the reasons they're not really dialed into you you can say hey partner on a scale of one to ten it's a numerical scale so everyone can relate to it on a scale of one to ten this is a 9.2 so really you better listen up you don't even have to say that but the 9.2 on the Richter scale of communication will help the person that's on the other side of the communication understand how important it is to the person that's actually saying it. Because many times you don't really get the feeling of how, hey, it's casual, maybe you're looking at your cell phone or finishing a bite to eat and not really paying attention to what is being said. And there's nothing worse than that. I don't know about you, but uh, 
if yeah, you I've, find uh, you're communicating with someone. I've experienced some it's of that. Total. I think a lot of us have, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a total, it's a total distraction, you know. It's, um, yeah. and, and so that's one of the key points is basically learning how to communicate with each other and then actually taking the time to, uh, you, know, you can't, it's not really good in a relationship to, you know, go on a, a dump truck every day. You're not going to be dumping yeah. every day because that's really negative. You want positive stuff coming in. And that actually um, leads to the next thoughts I'll give you. It's uh, in part of what we put together. Uh, we call it the 95-5. So let's, let's take a hypothetical situation. Um, a couple are having a, a difference of opinion. And let's, for, for uh, just for comparison's sake, hypothetically say, they're talking about mm -hmm. money, which is usually a pretty common subject. And they're getting pretty heated and they're talking about all the different things that are going on. The bills aren't being paid. The kids need shoes. You know, the car needs repair. Uh, we've got a, you know, a credit card that's overdue. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it's an issue. It's a problem. So here's, here's the key to the next level of communication. The level being this, most people, and I'll explain it as best I can, most people will spend 95% of their time talking about the problem. And they keep grinding and grinding on the problem, They're, you know, coming back and coming back, regurgitating the issue. Uh, and then maybe, maybe they'll spend 5% of the time on, on, the, on the solution. So what we highly recommend is something we've used ourselves is you reverse that role. You consciously decide together that once you get into a negative situation, you actually sit down and say, okay, 95.5, and you'll, you'll make, you already know what's wrong. You already know what the problems are, and you don't need to be regurgitated. So you, you make a short list or maybe a long list of the problems, and then you say, okay, 95, we're going to take 95% of the time to go through these items line by line and a 10-point solution on each one. And I'll guarantee you, by the time you get through, if you identify a single issue and you come up with a list of 10 possible solutions to that problem, you will, first of all, you'll deflate the uh, anger or, or um, you know, the upset that's going on quite a bit. And you will have a positive approach and the, the little uh, neurons playing leapfrog in your brain will switch gear and you know, how start many, to uh, some positive stuff. Let me interject. I have a question. How many? How many uh, sure. Uh, couples or, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, wife, husband, how many couples would actually sit down and take time to do what you're uh, advocating for them to do in terms of their relationship? I don't think there'd be many, might be a few. What do you think? Well, the, yeah, the divorce rate, uh, roughly, you know, over 50% um, kind yeah. of uh, bears, bears fruit to what you're saying. And I don't, I don't have an actual number. I mean, it's an impossible number, mm -hmm. basically. To, but I, I do know that where there is a sincere effort. I mean, a lot, a lot of relationships are. Uh, my relationship is basket to casket. Okay, uh, most, most relationships are are, are trade-ins. A lot of them, not all of them, but I mean, uh, yeah. Well, fifty percent, fifty percent are, and there, there is a cultural issue there too. By the way, it's, I mean, it's a change. There's a shift in the change, a demographic shift of uh, stability of relationships, very often caused by economics and you know, social demographics are changing the face of relationships, basically. 
um, you have you have sort of a trade-in situation now where you know you get married and you know the uh, bloom is off the rose in in a few years and then all of a sudden you've got kids and pretty soon uh, they need more money you got to keep up with the Joneses and have a bigger house more car all the stuff and all the you know yeah. all the uh, mm-hmm. tra- traditional trappings of what what could it says a quote a successful relationship because you got the house on the hill you got the new car et cetera et cetera but it's all coming at a huge price and what we suggest to people is you take a really good serious look at those what things that are really important on the assumption that you've really dedicated yourself to a long-term, you know, basically a lifetime relationship. And yeah, I agree. There are, there are, there are conditions where you would not want to be involved in a relationship, especially if there's physical brutality going on. I wouldn't tolerate that in a second and um, neither would my wife. So it's, um, there are, and there are exceptions to the rule for sure. Yeah. I, I, and I think uh, most relationships, uh, most people in, in those kinds of relationships, they want, to, they want to actually make those relationships work. And that's what you're talking about, making a relationship that individuals want to work. And, yes. and communication is a big part of it. Finances is a big part of it. You know, understanding each other, knowing each other is a part of it. And Commitment is a great big part of it. Very true. Very true. Mm-hmm. There are times, of course, in any relationship where uh-huh. you know you'll begin to question the the sanity of the relationship, especially if you're looking at um, maybe some habits that have crept into the relationship that are, were not there in mm-hmm. the beginning, and um, maybe you didn't establish the ground rules. And you know, uh, life changes. People change. You know, the yeah. your weight yeah. changes. You know, if I. I can, we can obviously relate to that because we've changed. We're not the same people we were when we got married. We've yeah. changed in many, many, many ways. Yeah, but you change together. Yeah, and at different speeds too. You have to make allowance yeah, for yeah. you know people to to change at at a different level. And you know there are the physical issues, of course, those come into play. I, I think. The hormonal balances and imbalances, uh, as you know, a lot of women relate to that. Um, the understanding of the man on those issues. Uh, yeah. So you have to be. Yeah, it's like you said. It's it is commitment to the core values that you signed on to in the beginning. And when you do that, yeah. uh, win, lose, or draw, you can work through together and you know solve the problems. And we've. You know, we've had some adversities in our life, you know, it's um, and you learn the adversity always. Well, the old saying that, you know, for every every adversity, there's a seed of equal equal or greater benefit. And I believe that's true. We we look at things with the idea that you can learn from everything you do, basically, and everyone you meet. There's there's a wonderful opportunity to experience something new and learn hopefully something from that not always but many times you can so adversity though is a great teacher because it uh, it brings out in you the you know what's really inside where your really true character is and uh, I, I'm not recommending adversity by the way I'm just saying that it's a part of life you you can yeah, have an illness you can have a you know yeah. yeah it's just part of life so but if yeah. you can get a better understanding of how you interact and um, react and so on and you can't judge someone by how they act. It's how they react that really is important. Right, right. And once you, 
once you understand each other better, and it's it's a process. Uh, granted, yeah, yeah. we're still on a learning process. You know, I've learned I've learned two yeah. words in my relationship that work really really well. I'll tell you what those are. Yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> expert David, uh, relationship expert David Selby on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, David, do you have a book? Or are you planning write, on writing a book on this issue on this subject? Uh, of course, yeah. I have a book. Actually, I've got. Uh, I've, mm-hmm. This may. This is, this is one of our fun projects. One of my fun projects, anyway. I have a Guinness World Record underway. It's um, it's the uh, oldest author to publish the most books in one year. And uh, wow, I don't think anybody be cra- anybody be crazy enough at my age of the game to try and beat my record because I I love competition, <laughs> you know. And um, so I've yeah. got uh, actually two series of books coming out. Um, I've got the okay. book covers done on them. I'll send you one. I'll send you a copy of them if you want. And um, yeah, one of the well, the first the first series is the Papa series. It's the Papa number one, which is three lives, three countries. Papa number two is the uh, Papa the entrepreneur, and then you know grandfather, father, husband, and so on. Uh, each issue, each pub, each book uh, contains the stories of the people involved. In other words, my grandkids. Uh, Papa the Grandfather will be a, a book about our grandkids written by me yeah. with my story in it as well. And combine all kind of yeah. And then w- one of those uh, uh, actually uh, at the end of the, that series, uh, one of them is called Married and it's called um, uh, The Four Seasons of Marriage and wow. spring, summer, you know, fall and winter. And of course, we're in the winter season yeah. our, in our own yeah. relationship. And each each season, um, I explain the seasonality and the changes of the wind and the changes of the weather, and the forecasts, <laughs> and so have a little fun with it. But that that's I'll, I'll send you a copy. Yeah. I'll send you a um, the book cover on that because it's all done. But that's all tied to the second part of the of the Guinness series, which is a famous fifty series. And the famous fifty series is a um, basically a vanity publishing series. Uh, famous for so for fifty bucks, somebody can get into a book. There'll be yeah. fifty people in the book. If you, if you're a realtor or, or a uh, you know a Airbnb or whatever whatever category, there's about thirty seven categories that we've chosen, mm-hmm. and so the book will be full of you know uh, of those fam- famous fifty whatever they are, doctors whatever it is, you know, those famous fifty. So I can get into it. Yeah. It'll be fifty bucks, four, four page spread, and then um, I can publish it for for the fees that are paid and then they can order them on the back end and I'm, I'm going to donate a bunch of that to charity. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun. How, how are people reacting to what you do how, and, and your book? How are people reacting? How are, what, are they, what are they saying? Well, they want to know where my energy comes from. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> Well, I got more bounce per ounce than most people half my age. That's true. And... Um, yeah, well, I uh, we live a healthy life. We, um, you know, we don't. Uh, yeah. I don't do fast foods. We're we're not. Uh, you know, we we live a healthy healthy lifestyle. Simple as that. And yeah. but yeah. people are <clears throat> actually they're encouraged. I, I like I love to try to bring the best out in people and get them to see their own potential because uh, that didn't happen to me. I, for whatever reason, I was given a lot of drive and a lot of ambition and. Uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's been a fun ride, and I'm still I'm still on the horse. Believe me, it's a fun. Yeah. We're having fun doing what we're doing, and if it inspires other fun. people to get up, uh, yeah, absolutely. if you're having fun, yeah. 
uh, knowing that you're helping other people out there. That's the greatest thing about it. And it's nothing like someone walking up, walking up to you, maybe saying, I read your book. I know what you're about. You've been a great inspiration in my life and in my relationship. Yeah. 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 yeah that's great. true. So, yeah, yes, absolutely. It's a good feeling. And, you know, I get a lot of calls from yeah. people. Uh, uh, I, I'm not mm-hmm. licensed to do this, but uh, I do spend quite a bit of time, uh, you know, actually talking to people about, about their situation. And I, I can't give, you know, advice legally, of course, but uh, I just refer them to situations and say, OK, why don't you try this? Try that. Try that. You know, and uh, yeah. some do, yeah. some don't. So what next? You know, you can, like you said, you can't fix a, You can't push a wet noodle if somebody doesn't want to fix their relationship. You can't make them do it, and they've yeah. got to be motivated to want to work on it. And that's, yeah. we encourage that, though. Okay. I mean, the, the the toll, you know, the toll of broken relationships is enormous, uh, both emotionally yeah. and yeah. physically and financially. It's just a disaster. So uh, I think it's better to do your best to try to work it out, if at all possible. And, of course, um, some do, and like you said, some don't. So whatever it is, it is. I can't change it, and you can't be you can't be responsible for a adults' behavior. That is for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David, uh, can you tell us where we can find your books? Give us a website uh, uh, where we can find them, download them, buy them, purchase them. You know, check them out, review sure. them. Well, uh, you the do bo- that. The book. Yeah, okay. uh, I go to pre- I go to press in May on my series because it's a. The, the Guinness thing mm-hmm. is a time series, so it has to be sequential. But uh, yes, it, the website, uh, I got several, but the f- one that applies to this is um, okay. uh, www.askdavidhow.com. Okay. And on that site, there's a, a contact form. There's a, they can participate in a little free test if they want. And then, you know, there's some things that, that are available mm-hmm. for them if they want. Uh, that's 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 the, that's the best place to go uh, for information if they want to okay. help themselves out. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you do have a, um, I mean, Amazon account, or maybe later, or. Well, I, yeah, I've got an Amazon account, but I, I I don't put anything up until it's actually published. I'll I'll have ISDN okay. numbers on all, all of right. them. I've got the book. The book covers are done, so. Uh, you know, okay. that's, that's, that's a given. It, it will go ahead and God willing, and the creek doesn't rise, it'll all get done. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll tell you what I'm going to do once this show is over and it's just about over. I'm going to send you a link to this show. So a link to this show that you're on, and maybe you can um, mm-hmm. put this link onto one of your websites and people can come by your website and hear you uh, being interviewed on this show, uh, talking about what you do and how you do it relationships. That'd be great. Love it. I love it. Great. All right. David Selby on the George Wilder Jr. Show, relationships expert. Thanks for being on. Yeah, you're welcome. Aloha. Aloha to you. Bye-bye. All right. You've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're going to do this and we will be right back. Perhaps you've noticed we no longer have old people in this country. They're all gone now, replaced by senior citizens. Somehow we wound up with millions of these unfortunate creatures known as golden agers or mature adults. These are cold, lifeless, antiseptic terms, typically American, all ways of sidestepping the fear of aging. And it's not difficult to understand the fear of aging. It's natural and it's universal. No one wants to get old. No one wants to die. But we do. We die. And we don't like that. So we shade the truth. 
I started doing it when I reached my 40s. I'd look in the mirror at that time and think, well, I guess I'm getting older. That sounded a little better than old. Sounded like it might even last a bit longer. But people forget that older is comparative, and they use it as an absolute. She's an older woman. Oh, really? Older than what? Than she used to be? Well, yeah. So? People think getting old is bad because they think being old is bad. But you know something? Being old is just fine. In fact, it can be terrific. And anyway, it's one of those things you don't get to choose. It's not optional. But that insufferable group among us known as baby boomers, ages 42 through 59 as of 2005, are beginning to get old. And they're having trouble dealing with that. Remember, these baby boomers are the ones who gave us this soft, politically correct language in the first place. So rather than admit they're getting old, the baby boomers have come up with a new term to describe themselves as they approach the grave. They don't care for middle-aged. So instead, get this, folks, instead they claim to be pre-elderly. Don't you love that? Pre-elderly. It's a real word. You don't hear it a lot, but it's out there. The boomers claim that if you're between 50 and 65, you're pre-elderly. But I'd be willing to bet that in 2011, when they begin turning 65, they will not be calling themselves elderly. I have a hunch they'll come up with some new way of avoiding reality. And I have a suggestion for them. They should call themselves the pre-dead. It's a perfect term because for them, it's accurate and it's highly descriptive. By the way, those ever-clever boomers have also come up with a word to describe the jobs they feel are most suitable for retired people who wish to keep working. They call these jobs elder-friendly. Isn't that sad? God, that's just really, really sad. And so, to sum it up, we have these senior citizens. And whether I like that phrase or not, unfortunately, I got used to it and I no longer react too violently when I hear it. But there is still one description for old people that I'll never accept. That's when I hear someone describe an old guy as being, for instance, 80 years young. Even though I know it's tongue-in-cheek, it makes my skin crawl. It's overly cute and precious, and it's an evasion. It's junk language. On CBS's 60 Minutes, Leslie Stahl, God help her, actually referred to some old man as being a 90-something. Please, Leslie, I need a small personal break here. One last pathetic example in this category. On the radio, I heard Matt Drudge actually refer to people of age. And he wasn't being sarcastic. He said the West Nile virus is a particular threat to people of age. Poor Matt. Apparently, he's more fucked up than he seems. Now, going to an adjacent subject, one unfortunate fact of life for many of these 80 or 90-somethings is that they're forced to live in places where they'd rather not be. Old people's homes. So what name should we use for these places where we hide our old people? When I was a little boy, there was a building in my neighborhood called the Home for the Aged. It had a copper sign on the gate home for the aged. It always looked deserted. I never saw anyone go in. Naturally, I never saw anyone come out either. 
Later, I noticed people started calling those places nursing homes and rest homes. Apparently, it was decided that some of these old people needed nurses, while others just needed a little rest. What you hear them called now is retirement homes or long-term care facilities. There's another one of those truly bloodless terms, long-term care facilities. But actually, it makes sense to give it a name like that, because if you do, you make it a lot easier for the person you're putting in there to acquiesce and cooperate with you. I remember old people used to tell their families, whatever you do, don't put me in a home. Please, don't put me in a home. But it's hard to imagine one of them saying, Whatever you do, don't put me in a long-term care facility. So calling it that is really a trick. Come on, Grandpa, it's not a home. It's a long-term care facility. By the way, while we're on this subject of the language of getting old, I want to tell you something that happened to me in New York on a recent evening. I was standing in line at the Carnegie Deli to pay my check, and there was a guy ahead of me who looked like he was in his 60s. He gave the cashier a $10 bill, but apparently it wasn't enough. When the cashier mentioned it to him in a nice way, he said, Oh, I'm sorry, I guess I had a senior moment. And I thought how sad that was. To blame a simple mistake on the fact that you're in your 60s, even if you're just sort of joking. As if anyone would think a 20-year-old couldn't make the same mistake. I only mention this because it's an example of how people can brainwash themselves by adopting popular language. I wanted to pull him aside and say, listen, I just heard you refer to yourself as a senior, and I wanted to ask, were you by any chance a junior last year? Because if you weren't a junior last year, then you're not a senior this year. I wanted to say it, but I figured, why would he listen to me? After all, I'm still a freshman. Junior show has now arrived.
At this time, I have the honor to present to you the moral leader of our nation. I have the pleasure to present to you Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to end the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize the shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. that the bank of justice is bankrupt. 
We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. So we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We have also come to this hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negro's legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end, but a beginning. Those who hoped that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. our tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. But that is something that I must say to my people who stand on the warm threshold which leads into the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protests to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. The marvelous new militancy which has engulfed the Negro community must not lead us to a distrust of all white people. For many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. 
They have come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. We cannot walk alone. And as we walk, we must make the pledge that we shall always march ahead. We cannot turn back. There are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied? We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. We can never be satisfied. As long as our body is heavy with the fatigue of travel, cannot gain lodging in the motels of the highways and the hotels of the cities. We cannot be satisfied as long as the Negro's basic mobility is from a smaller ghetto to a larger one. We can never be satisfied as long as our children are stripped of their selfhood and robbed of their dignity by signs stating for whites only. We cannot be satisfied as long as a Negro in Mississippi cannot vote and a Negro in New York believes he has nothing for which to vote. No, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. I am not my unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. Some of you have come from areas where your quest for freedom left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi. Go back to Alabama. Go back to South Carolina. Go back to Georgia. Go back to Louisiana. Go back to the slums and ghettos of our northern cities knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair. I say to you today, my friend, so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal.
have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racists, with its governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted. Every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain. And the crooked places will be made straight. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. This is our hope. This is the faith that I go back to the south with. With this faith. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And so let freedom ring. From the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire, let freedom ring. From the mighty mountains of New York, let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow-capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring, and when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, 
we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last.
All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. I want to thank my guest, David Selly, on the George Wilder Jr. Show, expert relationship uh, coach. Uh, he, he didn't call himself a coach, but <clears throat> I've talked to so many of them, so I just uh, calling them coaches uh, for what they do. And it's very appreciated. Anyway, welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're just just about off the air. And I want to say that uh, I hope tomorrow um, bring a better day and a better time for a lot of those folks involved in that shooting, that school shooting, Parkland, Florida. And uh, I hope the uh, GOP grows involved and do something about all of these school shootings. I mean, I can go back and count the school shootings from 1998 all the way up to current current time, and it's it's the it's appalling. I think 24 to 25 school shootings have have occurred between 1998 and and 2018, and these and at every school shooting. They say the same thing. Uh, now is not the time to talk about gun control. It's simply code for we're not going to do a damn thing on gun control. We don't care how many people, kids, students, uh, Americans are shot down in the streets by other Americans. We're not going to do a damn thing. you know. So, uh, And I would like to tell the GOP that uh, we, the voters, we will vote you out. And a lot of you should probably just resign. Uh, you're in the pockets of uh, the NRA, the NRA controlling you and controlling your vote, not the people who voted for you, which is bad. So, you know, you should just get out if you don't want to do the right thing by the American people. And it seems like you do not. So it should be over for you, especially by... Um, November 6, 2018, we're going we're gonna to vote in droves and we're going to throw you guys and girls out because you have, you do not have America as your first interest. It's your party, party over country, and that's going to get your ass unemployed.